This is a Galactic Network podcast. The Podcast of Terror is a great podcast. It's covering movies that are not for children, and thus this podcast is not for children. The hosts are two adults who will use bad words from time to time. They'll also spoil movies if that's not your thing. So if you don't like spoilers and you don't want to hear some dirty language or some dirty references to dirty parts of your body, then please, please, please wash your body parts better and do not listen to this show. If you can handle it, and I hope you can because there's a great podcast coming up, then please proceed with Podcast of Terror. Yeah, we get that. It's exciting for him. That's why. I, so uh, I am recording now, so don't say anything inappropriate. But uh, we do have on St. Patrick's Day, um, Hornswoggle, who was a pro wrestler who played the Leprechaun in Leprechaun Origins. I went to his Amazing. house and did an interview, and I have to edit so much of that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like been putting it for off. This show. For yeah, this for this show. show. We have to edit it. <laughs> Yikes! It, it's yeah. it, it's pretty it's pretty bad. Um, wow! I'm trying to imagine what was said. I'll send you the audio. <laughs> um, it's it's or like in, were there were there like confessions of bestiality? What happened? No, no. Um, <laughs> I wanted to go. No, no. Eh. Well, <laughs> no, it, it, it was more. The hate Scratch speech. is a good horse. But, good horse. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I kind of was like, hey, man, you're a somebody. I'm a nobody. So I should do this for you. And then he hasn't talked to me since. I feel nice. like it was a bad one night stand. I even saw him the other night. <laughs> he just like kind of waved at me. But I did hear he is now 10 days sober. And we think that that night was his rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Just after hanging out with you, he saw the light. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do like, oh man, now I feel like I feel like I'm missing an achievement in my life. You're not. Where I no, I mean I want someone to stop drinking because of me too. I didn't even like I was fairly well behaved. He lives like forty five minutes from my house, so I knew I had to drive home. So I wasn't gonna drink too much because i had to go home um and Corey wasn't there to egg me on with all of my bad habits so i felt like i was probably the best behaved there is that what i've been doing yeah yeah you're <laughs> i get a little tickle <laughs> wow, juice in me all wrong because this has been the worst intervention that i have ever <laughs> seen <in a> <laughs> um did you hire the lady to call us fat hipsters like three years ago is that was that the beginning of the intervention I didn't hire her so much as didn't deny her entry. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Sucks. Whatever. I got called a douche in, in a Monster Madness review because I was talking about making ravioli for my wife. How, yep. How dare you? Oh, I know. I'm like, I, I, what? Yeah, the math, that doesn't add up at all. No. By the way, does Erica know that it's taboo to review your own show oh. and call your co-host a douche in the meantime? <laughs> I feel like she's called it and called me that at least she's a dozen times. She's called you way worse than that. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Not over ravioli. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> I don't remember talking that about it. They had to remind me that I was talking about <laughs> making ravioli. Um, 
so then when this discussion happened, we all know how I handled it, and I just started talking about ravioli nonstop. And I'm like, I hope the guy comes back because that proves that he continued to listen. Now, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but can we establish the fact that there is something wrong that for my entire life, it's Chef Boyardee, and then a couple years ago, some idiot asshat in advertising, no offense, Chef, said Chef Boyardee. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? You can't change the name like 30 years, 40 years into my life in. You can't suddenly say that it's pronounced differently. You never did that before. I remember spaghetti commercials growing up. Chef Boyardee. Chef Boyardee. Chef Boyardee. Yes. Not Chef Boyardee. No, that's bull. That is some Giada <laughs> level crap pronunciation just to like force this view. No, uh-uh. It reminds me of Joe Dirt when he tries to change his name to Dear Tay. I'm like, don't Dear class Tay. it up, Dirt. <laughs> well, it's like the Berenstein and Berenstain Bears thing. Maybe it was always Chef Boyardi. No, it was not. I don't. From a, from a different no. dimension. Dang it. In, <laughs> maybe in a different dimension. But I, I think that they were maybe. Boyardi and we use <clears throat> actual meat. <laughs> they may have been trying to like actually give credit to the, the like it's roots. I, I guess like there may have someone may have complained and been like, well, this is really derogatory towards Italians. And then they tried to like Italian it <laughs> That's up. True. The advertising could have been derogatory the entire time. But because we're Americans, we just didn't care. We're just like, well, I guess it's Chef Boyardee. Someone screwed up on the copy and that's yeah, what we're sticking with. It is what it is. Anyways, Amy, JF, how are you? Oh, good. I am fine. <laughs> I'm, you don't say. I mean, it's that's a half truth because I'm, I'm I mean, and Amy's on the same uh, train wreck. Is that uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm prepping, I'm prepping for Adepticon, and everything's, everything's late, everything's last minute, and it's fine. It's all gonna... fine. Everything's fine. Nothing's on fire. What, uh, <laughs> what con are you gonna? What, 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 what con? Uh, Adepticon in Chicago. It's a uh, it's miniature war gaming convention. What? You may have seen fest. our medals. Oh, yeah. God damn you guys. We're recording <laughs> that weekend. Otherwise, I would have come down and poked you. Huh. Yeah. It's only like three hours from my house. Not bad. And Amy, didn't you just do PAX? I did. Mm. Yeah. That... Escaped sure unscathed. Yeah, that's that's impossible. No, I did. I don't... a wrestling event on Friday, and he's sick as hell. I don't know that's how. True. Like, I feel comfortably out of the incubation period of just about everything at this point that I feel like I can say I escaped unscathed. And, uh, yeah, no, it was good. And that's handling money. That, oh, that, wow. That means you're obviously your patient zero. I've got to be. <laughs> I've got to be, right? Were you eating My bats? bosses, though. My bosses have been taken down. They still have not been seen. They are down for the count. It's not oh. pretty. <laughs> Is uh is it like as insane by you as it is here? Like my wife has a travel ban for work and like everything's getting canceled. Not yet. But Time's We're coming. Massachusetts. We have too many hospitals per capita, so it's fine. You gotta fill We're them all up. fine here. You just, I was like, able to purchase toilet paper at the store today. I hear so that's I a problem like that's too. Like the that, baseline. Yeah, that's weird that that is a problem. Right? Um, we don't rake, so we're pretty much prepared for roughing it if we have to. We there get you go. so many leaves on our ground. <laughs> oh. oh, this was like last winter. Every snowstorm uh, fell, you know, right in line with my regular shopping trip. So when all the crazy snow people go shopping, it was like my regular shopping day. And so now I'm like, man, I really need like soap and toilet paper. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you just get it delivered to you? Yeah, probably. Yeah. 
I feel oh, like you're probably in a dense enough area that you could just everything could be brought to you. Yeah. You don't even need to leave. No. Uh, some <clears throat> I'm yeah, starting your, to think your that two day shipping goes away really fast when the when the apocalypse is happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like once once all the delivery guys are sick, uh <laughs> Well, they'll still go to work because otherwise they don't get paid. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. You, <laughs> you guys sick time. <laughs> you guys are a humanitarian crisis. Yeah. The, yeah. the which the likes of which China looks down upon. Yeah. 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 Your your door to door SARS is not exactly what we're looking to have happen here. It's. A... <laughs> oh no. I want to talk more about door to door SARS. Mail order SARS. I mean. No. Someone will get it for you. Yeah, probably. I, I I do think Bezos is probably working on it. Probably. It's SARS is different than coronavirus. Right? Yes, it is. I mean, what was SARS? I could uh, Google all of this, but it was Corona Light. Corona Light. Okay. <laughs> <coughs> Miller sixty four. Um, because correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't pay much attention to anything that aren't cartoons, um, or horror movies, but um, I feel like every couple of years this happens. They're like, holy yes. shit, we're all going to die. And then they're like, this. it's like there's an episode of The Simpsons where they're having a, it's like going to snow. And then like it just starts to snow and then there's this big news flash and it's like snowstorm has been upgraded to a kill, th- a class three kill storm. Kill storm. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, it's not really nothing's well, happening. It, it's funny because I, I work in the cleaning industry. Like I work marketing for a company that does cleaning products. So we're part of a, a couple of agencies that sort of regulate what we do in our business. And part of it is that we're, we supply schools, hostels, and that kind of thing with disinfectants. So in the past few weeks, I've had several phone calls I never expected to have with you know people from like CDC and the WHO. And basically just keeping us updated is like, okay, well, this is the, these are the products and types of ingredients that will kill this and that virus. I'm like, all right, I'm taking notes. And they did address like the whole like uh, you know swine flu H one N one, and the overall reaction was yeah those weren't those were big scares with few uh, that, that didn't pan out. You're welcome. <laughs> was their um, their take on it? It's like yeah, everybody panicked, everybody washed their hands, everybody became more conscious, and the moment we had there was a vaccine, people got their freaking flu shots for it. And that's how we avoid a pandemic. Like, yeah, yeah, fine. Erin was asking me about this. She's like, well, is this really serious or not? I said, it's serious enough that you just just pay attention. But we've been prepping in our heads because we've had nothing but zombie TV shows and horror movies (laughs) for the last 15 years. That it's like, yeah, everybody's like, oh, I've been I've been building for this. This is what I've been waiting for. I am ready. (laughs) It's like, well, you're not. You're absolutely not ready. But you everybody's excited for it. It, it's it's just like they they keep thinking oh this is gonna be the one this is where everything turns the society falls and all I have to have is enough toilet paper and I'm gonna be better than everybody else and like I, I get it I totally get it and she's like well isn't it just old people and kids are gonna die I'm like yeah, yeah. that's great <laughs> they're just but what does it do when you when you get them sick and they all die it's like okay yeah they died but then that stuff transforms into the next thing that goes after us it doesn't just dissipate because some people died from it and we didn't it's like no it gets better at what it's doing well i, I was a yesterday i was at my family for dinner so obviously we the conversation always turns to politics and, and world affairs because we're a fun family <laughs> so but one of the things that we did have the conversation obviously was about coronavirus and and the covid and all that 
And another thing that I learned, which was interesting, is that, well, uh, death rates are kind of uh, a very fluid number. Because right now we're seeing death rates as in, I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's say you get, like, Amy gets COVID-19 tomorrow morning. And she goes to the hospital and says, hey, I got the thing. Here are my symptoms. Symptoms? What the hell's wrong with me? My symptoms. You're Canadian. I'm going, I'm going full French. You never go full French. Never go full French. <laughs> but then they'll go, oh, well, welcome first or second patient in Massachusetts with this. Here's your isolation room. We've got a half a dozen ventilators on, on standby. This hospital is full staffed. Everything is cool. Amy's survival rate, 100%. She's fine. But then if you have everybody not giving a damn, not washing their hands, kissing the floors, licking doorknobs, whatever, and then you start having more patients that show up with COVID-19, then you've got 12 people for four respirators. Mm -hmm. um, you've got the half the doctors are sick. They're overwhelmed. And then suddenly the same patient, Amy, goes from having a 100% survival rate to uh, an 80%. And then less staff, less ventilators, less resources, oh, 50%. It just, the thing is, right now, everything's like, whatever, because we're seeing very few cases. And the reason why it's important to catch these kind of things and, you know, be careful, wash your hands, and don't go crazy and buy all the toilet paper or whatever the hell you people are doing. I, I don't I think it's hit Canada where we're buying all the paper. <laughs> the reason why it's important to, like, hit catch those before, like, early is so that you never reach this sort of tipping point where the balance between patients and resources to take care of patients flips and then the death rate increases. And even if it increases like, oh, no, the 2% death rate doubled. It's now 4%. Well, 4% of a million people is a lot of freaking people. Yeah, it's never well, small yeah. enough, you know. Also, yeah. uh, for people who are not watching the video, pay attention. We just saw JF write Amy's death in this show. There also is no I video mean, because Lightstream has forsaken us. Um, but... I think it's weird that something like this needs to happen for people to um, abide by basic human cleanliness. Like, mm. we have to tell people to wash their hands now because a lot of them probably weren't before. And, like, the fact that you'd be like, please don't like doorknobs. And, like, I understand that it's said in jest, where but. People keep now ignoring the fact that for thousands of years we understood that the earth was round. You know, it, it, it's still sometimes flat. you just have to reset stupid. And it seems like we're having to reset it every couple of years as opposed to like every millennium. It, yeah, it, but I mean, I mean, it's also it's also a level of degrees, right? Like I'm I'm pretty meticulous about everything, uh, but I do handle money all day. And so now instead of like hitting the hand sanitizer, you know, just like before I eat or whatever, you know, every so often now it's like pretty much every time I'm done with transactions, yeah. I'm like, all right, let's just. Let's just scrub up a little. It, it is weird to be like, oh, don't touch your face. It's like I've spent my entire life touching my face. I have anxiety like you wouldn't believe. All mm -hmm. I do is touch my face all day. You're going to tell me I can't do that anymore? Like, just kill me. Just come yeah. up with a bullet in me now. I can't change me. Yeah, I think it's weird the whole like, don't rub your eyes. I'm like, I rub my eyes 
all day. Well, the, the thing is, like, it's it's we're looking at these activities as independent. Like, if you wash, you've just washed your hands and you want to stick them all, all over your face, make it a party, have fun. Your hands are clean. <laughs> but if yeah. you're if you've just been in the subway holding like a sweaty pole and immediately <laughs> you rub your eye, that's the problem. <laughs> all right, that's different. But um, that's the thing. Like, it's 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 sort of the combination of these different activities, like. Yeah, sure. You never never touch your face, even if you have dirty hands. Chances are you'll be you'll be okay because like hands are not a really great point of entry for a virus. But if, and if you have clean hands, you can mess around with your face, your genitals, whatever pleases you, um, <laughs> and you'll you'll also be fine because there's no pathogens on your hand. Right. The the idea is like you you have to think of it like think of the virus as if like paint. Like there's a stain of paint somewhere. If you touch it and then you touch your face, then it's on you. But if you don't touch it and you touch your face, you're fine. Like it's, it's like um, he, I'm, I'm going to age myself. It's when you read an old newspaper and you have filthy fingers, right? You yes. guys know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No one, Corey, up, you're with me, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Right? The newspaper was something that we actually played with. They made silly putty. Mm-hmm. specifically so you yeah. can press it onto the comics page in the newspaper and then stretch out Mary Worth's face. Um, <laughs> and then Silly Putty, toxic, don't eat it, but boy, didn't we all just chew on it as kids? Like, Jesus, that was the funnest thing ever. I never It was gum that, that never lost anything. It's, yeah, I've, I've... If you didn't want me to eat the Play-Doh, why do you make it so delicious? Right, exactly. What? Don't, why, don't why season like the toys I'm not supposed to eat. To eat. It took yeah. such a weird turn all of a sudden. Amy, have you eaten Play-Doh? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not going to say never, but... but I, don't, I don't think I did either. I don't think I, I did. I've only eaten homemade Play-Doh. And, and you guys are, you know, quite a bit younger than me, at least. And so, <laughs> like, they, they started uh, so to protect nice. kids after my generation. Um, I think we might have been the last generation you know. where they were kind of like, yep, come home alive, please. Yeah, it was the 80s. Yeah. I was like, fine, you're fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I played on, on <clears throat> monkey bars that were over jagged rocks. Yeah, no, we are definitely post, we are post lawn darts people. Yeah. Oh, total, uh, total jart in the face every time. Yep. Yeah. I remember having metal jarts. We just never played with them. They were on the top shelf. <laughs> I remember <laughs> making a game with my brother of throwing actual darts at each other. So, I mean, not the smartest kids. Um, I was talking with my nephew on Wednesday at dinner, and I was mentioning the amount of weaponry that I used to carry in my trench coat to high school. <laughs> uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, I had a, a, a Rambo-style survival knife, you know, the kind that had the, the compass and the handle mm-hmm. and could open up and had the sewing kit. And then I had uh, literal mace, not pepper spray, but mace that turned this guy black when you'd spray it, uh, and especially if you lit it on fire, which I did in high school. And uh, and Manrique Gusari, which is a uh, ninja chain weapon, um, all the time. I, I think it was at least two years that I had that stuff in my pockets any given day of high school. Huh. And we had a smoking section for the kids. What? Are you serious? Oh, yeah. The, the smoking door is o- over by the cafeteria. You'd go out of the cafeteria doors. That's where everybody smoked. Wow. You could get away with it out front. Did you go to high school in Russia? Uh, Michigan. It was cold. Pretty. That's pretty close. I don't know. I went to private high school, so I didn't even get to leave for lunch without a Bible. 
<laughs> we couldn't leave for lunch mad. but uh you should see my high school bible i have defaced it with slayer drawings and a bunch of death metal bands <laughs> ideal yeah i know i saw it i'm like whoo what was i thinking? i mean most of the lyrics from the bands you probably listened to in high school came from mm-hmm. the bible yeah, bible yeah 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 um it's all up in revelations man <laughs> some good shit <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that um but yeah, I figured. So, JF, you mentioned talking about cozy horror. Um, did you well, make this term up? Um, maybe. Did we? We may maybe. have. I we, don't know. Well, I feel like I. I you're, if, I if you if you look at the the hashtag cozy horror on Twitter, pretty much only our much our us. stuff come up. And I was up, so. <coughs> Corey and I were talking before uh, we got you guys in here, and I I think cozy horror is probably the best description of Aquilo out there. Yeah. Um, because it, all right, so it we didn't coin it. Uh, I mean, it's on Reddit from like 2015. Oh, so like, okay. cool. All right, other people have said these words together in I, the same I just, similar stu- meaning. Stu- I just assumed it was something I had never heard before, but it makes perfect sense. I said cozy mysteries. I'm like, I know cozy mysteries. I said, it's but same if idea. Gonna, if you're right. gonna term what what Jay and Amy are about, cozy horror definitely seems like the perfect amalgamation of I mean because we've we've been we've been down this road before a few times and that I don't do horror so the fact uh (laughs) the fact that my best friend in the world is a horror novelist uh and that I am the voice of our horror podcast is all sort of weird to me you're also a big portion of the reason why he's a successful horror novelist you know, aside from his talents, which is absolutely undebatable. When it comes to the support of of an Amy Frost to to JF's work to like a God in the Shed, like Oh yeah, a shield heart. How many copies? Oh yeah, yeah. Is, I mean there there's um, no denying that- there there, that there, one I only sh- got like twenty copies. It wasn't like uh the life engineered, life engineered which right. I built a fort out of. Yeah. <laughs> It's perfect. I had to pay an extra eight dollars to get that book because I moved since uh, in between buying it and then shipping it. Oh, you could have just asked me. I could have sent you. <laughs> I got some. Man. I kept getting copies showing up. I was like, "How did I get this one? I don't know, but I'm just happy to have it." <sighs> oh. I was back when we broke the system. That was yeah. awesome. Wait, wait, I assume, by I assume they, they fixed it now. <laughs> yes. No. No. You. Here, here's the thing, Amy. You did not break the system because you were. You were just, you were doing what the system was sort of designed to do. I am the criminal that you bring in to point out the loopholes in your security system. Right. No, but you, you're, you, you white hat. It was working as intended. Yes. It was working as intended. And then, but they did not want to intend it. They did not. But you got to realize like there are, there are several books on from my publisher who, they use the loophole that you, because the thing is, you never, you didn't use a loophole. Like the, the system no. was meant that you get credits if you refer other people as a way of bringing more people onto the platform. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what that was meant to. You were just extremely successful with it. But some people went into the system and they went, well, if I refer one person and they refer another person back, we can create this kind of circle where we just keep referring each other. It takes maybe four or five people to refer to to create this sort of diagonal loop where we just order a ton of book. It costs us nothing. Yeah, because you ordered a bunch of books that cost you nothing because yeah. you referred a hundred people. people. Yep. But each of these people, they ordered their own book. 
Like it wasn't like it wasn't a way to drain money out, out of the system. So that's, that's where the difference is. Also, Amy came up with this, and uh, which one of you is in marketing? <laughs> Moi. Right. <clears throat> I have, no, but I'm also notoriously terrible at marketing my own stuff. Like I can market yeah. your things. And for Which actually, is where we're Ake- in like a weird spot for Ake Willow because it's his thing, but it's also my thing. And so we're in this weird like halfway. <laughs> but it, 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 it really it. helps though because I the reason why I can't market my own things is because I'm, I'm crippling self-esteem issues mm-hmm. where I have a lot of difficulty going to someone and saying, hey, read my book. It's really good. Like the best I can do is, hey, read my book and form your own opinion. Because I don't, like, I don't feel comfortable speaking um, too highly of my own work. But having someone else, I can say, "Hey, listen to Aquilo. At the very least, the narration's good, yeah, and hopefully, so, like the, the 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 writing too." Yeah. The uh, now, as I recall, you saying this was when uh, you and you and Amy have known each other for years, obviously, and you uh, created the Overcast together. Uh, which I listened to, and I've still never played the game that it's based around. <laughs> uh, but it, as usual, it's a matter of like, but I, I love these people. I want to listen to these people. And I could do that all day. And uh, apparently from last night up to today, I absolutely did because I listened to Aqua all over again. But when Amy, uh, award-winning, award-winning mm. Amy Frost, yeah. uh, was on the uh, America's Next Top Podcaster, and uh, blew through the entire competition. Uh, I did not feel that way. Well, I, I assure know, you. I know. <laughs> I, remember, I remember some very heartbreaking episodes of, of confessional stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, man, ouch. Um, <laughs> but I think for a lot of us who know you, obviously, we're, we're huge fans. We still kind of felt like the whole time, yeah, but Amy's going to win this. Yes. Uh, yeah, apparently still, a lot of the judges did, too, but... Uh, yeah. But, I was to to the point where, like, through the entirety of the judging of the final episode, uh, like, especially after, like, Jerry's uh, judging of the final episode, I was messaging Alex telling him congratulations, <laughs> <laughs> which feels shitty, but <clears throat> I was pretty certain at that point. Jerry, Jerry loves to troll. Mm. Still, so, JF listened to this whole thing, obviously being a very supportive friend, and went... Well, shit. Uh, Amy's been holding out on me. I did not realize, like, I knew she was talented, but I didn't know how damn talented she was. Why are we underselling this? To be um, fair, I don't think I did either. So, oh, man. It's cool. Yeah, no, it <laughs> is cool. And so, and now I'm, I'm partly privy, um, being, you know, friends with you guys. I, I, I adore you guys. I follow your social media stuff. It's been a while and Facebook, but uh, like I know Amy, the last time you were on with us, we had watched the uh, Christine McGonagall yeah. series. And I know that you guys have always had back and forth about things like raccoons and stuff. So there's all these inward things of like this whole project just makes sense to me. Like I, I look at this and I think this is absolutely a hundred percent Amy and this is 100% JF, and the whole thing just seems like, well, yeah, this this should have always been a thing that happened. But I'm sure that's not how it was. So, JF, you hear her do this, and do you immediately just start like, well, I've got to 
utilized Amy far better than I have been. <laughs> Let me start writing this incredibly magical story that's somewhere a mix between Twin Peaks and Pushing Daisies and, uh, frankly, everything that I love. Uh, and that's from my perspective. Well, the the thing is, one, I've I've just, like, in the past, like, two weeks, handed over the, the very final version of the manuscript for Song of the Sandman, and which is the sequel to God in the Shed. And the this book has been like two and a half years of grueling production rewrites and edits. It has been horrible. And all in the meantime, like I'm trying to do my best in creating this book, seeing a lot of pushback, there's a lot of issues that I both agreed and disagreed with. Anyways, it's just I that that book almost made me quit writing altogether. Ooh, and yeah. All the while, I've got like a bunch of friends and, and even strangers going, "Hey, when's it, when's the next book? When's when's the sequel coming out?" And we're we keep we keep having to push um, we keep having to push back the release date. So like people are saying, "Hey, wasn't this supposed to come out in October?" I'm like, "Yeah, hey, it got changed." And during this whole time, I have zero communication. I have no product that I'm offering to uh, to my readers. So I was I was already thinking, hey, maybe what I can do, like I can I can write fairly comfortably all the time. So maybe what I can do, like I can start a stream. I see so many people starting streams. Twitch is huge. I'll start a stream and I'll just I'll write live and like get take people's suggestions. And I wanted to do something where I could write like a chapter a week or a chapter every two weeks and just give something to my readers. But then I hear my voice. And I go, no, no one wants this. This is the worst idea ever. So when Amy's Amy did America's Next Top Pod, pod not Top pod, Top Podcaster. See, this is why. This is why I can't do it. <laughs> so when Amy wins, not even wins, like halfway through the season, like I could already see, like, oh damn, she's like she was absolutely phoning it in for for overcast compared to what she's doing now and she's clearly got production skills let's clarify she phoned it in by doing all of the work for the podcast yeah <laughs> okay thank you, thank no, you. it's <laughs> phoning it in compared to what she demonstrated she could do in an america's next top podcaster i say because that it was never worth myself it was never worth putting in but that level like we're never gonna get much it is you and i shooting the shit about a video game that we enjoy yeah we were no. never gonna get much out of it yeah but i i, I yes, the thing no, is like there, there was a lot of elements in in america's next top podcaster like you you were also putting pouring it a lot of uh of you know a lot of intent like you were really motivated to do this you were clearly loving, like, obviously everything was grueling, but when it worked out, when it gelled, you were getting a rush from it. Are you implying that I won by witchcraft? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not denying it. I'm just asking. I, I mean. Uh, <laughs> He's not denying it either. Maybe. So I'm going to say, to JF's point, I think what we saw from you in that show very quickly was you taking control of things because you are the hardest worker, but also you revealing so much of who you are as a person and where you would want to be creatively, like the stuff that you'd want to make. Like you've always yeah. been very creative, the Danura uh, stuff that you do, 
it, it's always hugely creative. But to see you take and make a show that was, you know, in a week's time, I think a lot of the time, oh, yeah. unproduced and create something so incredible, like the the food mystery show. Um, that Culinary was, capers. Yeah, that was so incredible. And that, I think, is where JF is saying that he was, he oh, was yeah. underutilizing no, I... your creativity and your talents. You know, it, we love the voice. We love Amy. But that was this other level of like, where the hell was this? <laughs> so, yeah. So see, seeing that, I kind of like put two and two together and and figured like I can I can have something for my readers. I can write something for my audience. And I don't have to be the person, the voice behind it. So, and, and, and you know, with that also, the the, the I, I kind of like fumbled ass backwards into um, into young adult horror, which I didn't know was a thing until um, a, a magazine reviewed God in the Shed and said, "Hey, this is a good young adult horror book." I'm like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> is it?" Okay, fine. Um, I'll write that way if I don't mind. An audience, an audience. Um, but then I started like researching young adult horror and reading some of it, and it is so much more terrifying than uh, adult horror. So (laughs) it turns out that if you tell an author, yeah, no sex, no swearing, they go, all right, well, I'm just gonna make this twice as horrible as I was gonna. (laughs) That's one way to handle it. So, Jeff, you were talking about how you're unsure of your writing. You're very insecure. Like, when you put out a book... Like, okay, so the reason I'm asking this is because as a musician, I always feel like what I'm doing is better than what I did before, but it could still be better. And I'm curious if you kind of approach it the same way or you don't. Like, because you seem like the type of person that wouldn't put a book out if you didn't think the book was good. Well, the, the the thing is, there's there's a difference between me thinking a book is good and a book. Here's the thing: like, I will not put out a book that I I don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I also you don't know understand why anyone else would enjoy it. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I like oh this this book is fun to me because like it caters to a bunch of my little weird things and my strange little tastes. But I, it, it's always very difficult for me to fathom that other people may also enjoy that and that this is usually where I'm at. So, yeah. And, and there's also like a lot of little tiny little details that are just for me in some of my books. Like in all, in all everything I've written so far, there's always little inside jokes. Because the way I live my life a lot of times is imagine if I were a comedian like Mike Mike Burbiglia and I was doing my whole set but only one person at a time and each of these people only get five minutes each and the only one who gets any of the jokes any of the comebacks any of the setups is me (laughs) but I'm telling the joke (laughs) to everyone one piece at a time and that's pretty much how I live my life so when when it comes to writing a book, like there's so many things I enjoy on my level because they're my dumb things. So it, it's hard for me to fathom that people actually gather enjoyment from from any of that. But huh. hey, glad they do. Yeah. But then you you develop the perfect fan. So 
I've been doing a a podcast, a single person podcast for a single person. Uh, I keep joking about this on here at the end of the episode where I say, hey, if your name is Levi Krauss, uh, you can listen to this other podcast I do, which is for Levi Krauss. I'm only releasing it to him. The, the whole premise of the show is I'm going over some comic scripts I wrote for Levi 15 years ago or so. And like trying to encourage him through drawing them and making the comic actually happen. Uh, he's finally at a point where he's like ready to start doing it. And I've been ready for 15 years. But also, the scripts are 15 years old, and while I thought they were great at the time, they were the first real scripts that I had written, and I'm going through, and part of the podcast is me rereading the scripts and going, okay, this is what works, this is what doesn't work. But also, like Jeff, what you're saying, I'm discovering things that I know are jokes that are just for me, things that nobody else will go and dig down and like realize, what the hell is this part that I'm doing here? And I'm trying to figure out if it's actually funny or enjoyable to somebody else while I'm doing it, or if it's like I'm the only one who's going get to out of, get out anything from this. At the same time, I'm doing a show for one person who is my perfect fan for this project. Because if I can't sell it to him, he's never going to want to do it, and it's never going to come out and make anybody else happy. When you are doing this thing, and like, and for instance, with Aquilo, you're writing it, I assume, essentially for Amy, because it's so spot on to the kind of stuff that she enjoys while also being the stuff that you enjoy. She is in this sense, your perfect fan and being your biggest cheerleader helps add to that because she's the one who communicates that to other people and say, Hey, here's this thing that I think is really amazing that I'm also a part of, but it's amazing because of this guy who I love his work and is writing it, you know, and it just happens that like, I'm the one who's the voice for it, but you've got two people who are the biggest fans of each other who then can so go and tell other people, hey, check this thing out. You know, Jeff's really awesome. Or check this thing out. Amy's incredibly talented and awesome too. That's how you know that it works. Is that you, if you make one person happy with it, then yes, ultimately, it may be the only person you ever make happy with it, but at least you know that you've achieved something that's outside of yourself. That, that's that's 100% correct, but there's there's an added layer to it also. That because... See, when, as, as far as I, my writing career is concerned, I, I'm beholden to my publisher in a way. And this is why, say, Song of the Sandman was difficult because I feel a certain responsibility towards them to put out something that they feel comfortable selling. But that is a very non-artistic approach to it. So at, at the same time, I have to reconcile the artistic side. But working, working with, with, with my, my best friend, Everything you say is true, but there's also a layer of responsibility towards her in the sense that I cannot, I can't just goof around. Like I have to rein in my habitual self-sabotage because like she's putting in tons of hours and she's investing a lot of effort and asking her friends and family, hey, listen to this thing. So it's, I can't just make a joke out of what I'm doing deep six it into the at the bot to the bottom of the ocean just for my own amusement because then i'm dragging someone else down with me well yeah but we also the thing about writing for the perfect fan is that we're not trying to write something for them that's crap right no but the person we're most trying to please 
Right. But at the same time, it also makes me more conscious and which is a good thing. It makes me more conscious of, of the greater audience. So yes, I'm writing it for one person or two people, if I include myself, but also broadening, making sure that while there is this, this, as you say, like this one perfect audience member, I need like that audience member needs to not just be one person it needs to be clonable, if you will. And I mean, we're fully aware, just the fact that we've got this hashtag cozy horror shows that we're keenly aware that we're not making a mass market product. We're not like we're not making something that follows all the nitty gritty rules of, you know, save the cat or whatever. There's there's obviously structure to the story, but I, I didn't sit down, make the research of, all right, well, I need. I need to have the love story and love triangle and my main female character needs to like have to choose between two hot guys. And like, I like, there's none of this dumb thing that makes it easy to sell. Like, because Jeff, if you want to, if you want to say that you're trying to choose between Matt and I, I totally get it. No, I, I mean, I'll choose you. You're the one with the weird Cthulhu ish shirt. So. Uh, that, that's, that's a Levi shirt. Actually, he drew that for his daughter. That's from the the buyer strips he did years ago. Um, no, it. But then, also in doing that, does it help you define the audience? Because you're not necessarily writing for your audience. You're writing for Amy's audience. I'm writing. This is what makes it fun because I'm writing for both. I want to. I want people who read A Gone in the Shed to go. All right, I can. I can listen to this Aquilo thing. It's got a lot of the same elements. Like it's got it's got the, the, the creepy small town, and it's got like the the the, the you know so, a lot of gruesome descriptions and weird de- demons and things. But also, um, like I want to write for Amy and her friends in the sense, like people like Amy and, and Heather and and Annalisa and all these people that the I mean they're all into the whole kitchen witchy thing, which is awesome. It's a great thing to draw upon and write for. So yeah, it's it's basically, and this is what makes it work so well. In my opinion, is that it's a perfect hybrid of having this audience that I can sort of identify and comfortably write for, while staying true to sort of the the brand of writing I've developed for myself. So Amy, mm-hmm. from your point of view, um, you have beta read, and and I assume probably even alpha read for JF over the time. Mm-hmm. What happens when JF gives you a project where you're like, oh, no, this isn't right? Or when he gives you uh, a line or something like that where you're like, oh, no, sweetie, um, this that's is pretty uh, much actually that's pretty dead on. Uh, actually, it's oh, oh, no, no. Did you mean that? Do you want to? Do you want to think about that? <laughs> wanna wanna have a wanna have another go at that? <laughs> Do you wanna? Um, yeah, no. So I mean, like, so we're working all in Google Docs, and and so he'll send me episodes, uh, basically as soon as they're ready, and I will. I kind of do like I do two reads, right? Like one, I just do a straight read, like me getting through the story, and I try to comment on like especially the things that I like in that first impression, right? So that we can capture like, okay, this part absolutely works because when I first read it, this was the part. Um, and then I go back and do um, a lot closer read. Um, both, like I try to do that one out loud so that when stuff sounds really fucking awkward, uh, I can say, yeah, this 
this is not a thing that one should ever say out loud. Try again. Um, and that, that usually winds up being the bigger problem. Like the biggest problems that we've had have been with like thoughts that work written out, but don't necessarily, once you try to say them, um, there'll be sentences and it's just, it just, you know, it'll be wordy. I'll be like, Hey, this is awkward. And he'll go, yeah, you know what it is. So we haven't really run across anything too dire. I don't know. I I wouldn't imagine that you would, because again, he's writing for his ultimate fan in in this case, you and and ultimate fans can change from project to project, but he's also writing for one of his best friends who therefore he doesn't want to screw up your time. He doesn't want to waste what effort you're putting into it, which is very different from the overcast which is never a waste to me as a fan of both of you. But it is, it's a different project. And so I, I, I can see why the ultimate responsibility is bigger, but it also seems like it makes it so much easier to know what you're trying to hit. And you probably know, JF, when you don't. Like when you feel like, oh, this is, this is probably wrong for Amy. You know, or this is ultimately uh, wrong for the audience that we're trying to create with this. No, no, that's that's inaccurate because I'm I don't have a very good sense of what people like or not. Even even people I like I know very well. It's some it's sometimes very hard. There's there's a lot of things like there there's several episodes and scenes and even characters. Um, like the character of Helena in Aquilo is. That that was a joke for me. That was something that I made from that, that I, I had no idea anybody would enjoy in any way, shape, or form. And I was convinced that very quickly, within two episodes, Amy would say, "All right, stop saying her title. It's getting right. annoying and obnoxious." Oh no! I thought it was hilarious every time. <laughs> Helen Edna, like, Notary Public. It never got I had old. A character in that comic that I introduced uh, similarly, um, not not to the great extent that you do, but still, it, I it's one of those things where again, I'm like. Damn, Jeff does everything I want to do so much better. Um, <laughs> Except you get paid for it. So. I, I do not. I get nothing. Um, oh. Hopefully, I, I just get the chance to put out a comic someday. But like I, misun- the, I misunderstood what your your entire career path. <laughs> oh no, I'm 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 a schmuck. <laughs> I, I'm a schmuck. But the the episode, the holiday episode, mm. the holiday episode thematically feels very different from the rest of the show it in a lot of ways but it also felt so driven towards you guys the holiday one was one of my favorite things because (laughs) i think it was like i don't know it was probably mid-november maybe late november and jf says should we should we do a christmas special Uh, it was was november when um you, January, Abby, like a bunch of people oh, yeah, had come yeah, yeah, to yeah. Montreal, all converging, converging on this um, this roller derby thing. And Amy was just hanging out at my place, and we're just we were just chit chatting Aquilo things. And I think <laughs> I don't know, maybe I had seen something about like a Doctor Who holiday special. I went, you know what I want to do? <laughs> I want to do a holiday special. I think half of you wanted me to say no. <laughs> it was more work, so maybe I was kind of <laughs> hoping for some pushback. 
You got none. No. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> and, and again, Inside Baseball uh, is where I live with you guys. Like, that was, to me, the most expected in an unexpected way for, for this project. That was like, yeah, this is, this is it. Like, if I was going to sit there and pinpoint where's JF and Amy and all of this, and I had to, like, say, what is the most JF Amy moment? That was the one. I, I, I adore that episode, but I adore that episode because it makes me remember all of these different points of how much I've adored the both of you. Is everybody going to get that? I don't know. But again, that's that perfect audience thing. And it I'm not saying our, I'm the perfect audience, but I'm, I'm among a bunch of people who I think represent that. It is our third most listened to episode. So hmm. I assume that other people also very much enjoyed it. I mean, I had fun writing it. So. It's real good. It's, it's, it's really <laughs> it's That's all I needed from that. Um, I, in, in a way, it's the least horror thing because I don't get to like describe any demons with lacking guts and you know bodies and things. Like, there's just a bunch of ghosts or whatever. Yeah, but, but hockey yeah. ghosts. So yeah, cool. hockey, hockey yeah. ghosts. Like a most Canadian haunting. I was gonna say that's the most Canadian thing I've heard today. <laughs> Sorry. If she had gone to the counter and started serving everybody poutine, that oh. might have might have put it over the edge. It, never, it didn't really dawn on me to do the poutine thing because we'll save put, it. poutine at stadiums really sucked to begin yeah. with. Yeah. No, we'll save that. There are plenty of places for that. <laughs> no, I'm just yeah. thinking about poutine. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> so another thing that I I I, I, I'm aware of, I didn't get to watch a lot of it and I keep wanting to get back to it, was um, was Hannibal, the TV series uh, based off the character from Silence of the Lambs. And Hannibal was treated as like horror for foodies. Mm. And you guys are going about this in a very different way because the way that you describe everything comes back to food. Like every comparison that Miriam makes comes back to how she thinks about food so she's like it it, the way that you use the the language is so good and i i can't do it justice by trying to say any of it because it's something that you just have to experience in listening to the show but i adore the way that you do that because it really is we're in the brain of this young woman and this is this is what she thinks this is how she is and to make food magic to make spell casting out of cooking is again something like I'm not saying that it's never been done. I don't know if it has or hasn't, but it just works so perfectly in the context of of everything that the story is. And I, I, I really have no question of that it's just. <laughs> it took me way longer than I care to admit before I noticed that every single like metaphor and simile was food related. Like it was easily into episode three before I was like. Hang on. <laughs> Hold the phone. All of this is food. Because like you get a few of them and you're like, yes, of course. Right. Of course. And we're talking about cooking school. And of course. And that, but no, it's everything. And But you're uh, you're the most ill-equipped to notice it because you probably exactly. Like, <laughs> you're right. You're you're probably just reading Miriam's lines and going, Yeah, sure. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Meanwhile, like someone like I'm, I'm assuming people who aren't as, you know, 
close to food and who for whom food isn't as big a part of their lives probably notice like the, the similes a lot more. Food's a big part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> the eating of mostly. Do you cook at all? Me? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm no I'm definitely no Miriam Dufour. I'm no I'm no Amy Frost, but I I cook. Like cooking's a huge part of my life. My my mother is a really top class chef. Um, she's she's the kind of person who will eat at a restaurant and then go chat with the chef. Oh, damn. for half an hour. Yeah, she doesn't do it so much now, but she used to do it a lot. And back when my early twenties, when I got destroyed by a car. I had to spend a lot of time in, in a wheelchair and a walker and all that. So I, I went back to live with my parents for about six months. And my mom was off work because apparently having one of your kids hit by a car and almost killed and crippled tends to lead to uh, to depression. So she was off like uh, on leave from the office. So basically all, all we were doing was just, all right, well, let's cook stuff. Let's go shopping for ingredients. Let's do this. So. Yeah. During that period of time, I spent a lot of time alone writing because there wasn't much of an internet back then. So I would either write or um, or cook with my mom. So that was the thing. And Amy, you're just you're an artist. Like I imagine that you cook in the way that you craft anything. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, and also mixology and all the other things. Yeah, the whatever it takes, man. Just <laughs> <laughs> to get through another time. <laughs> um, essentially, I mean, when I was um, when I was younger, I I used to nanny for this little girl, and that was like what I did. I was between jobs and and all this these things, and so like one day her mom had come home. She was a friend of my mom's. They were teachers together, and uh, you know, so they're talking about like, oh, well, what do you want to do? You know, I mean, I was just out of college, so like whatever. And uh, the little girl Zoe, she goes, "You just have too many talents." <laughs> and so, yeah, it's that's sort of my, it? yeah, right. It's rough, actually. So that's how I, that's how I roll. Yeah, you want me to, you want me to make a souffle? No problem. You want me to cook you beef stew? I got you. Y- yeah. You want me to like whip <laughs> up some some uh, some dinnerware in the pottery shop? Yeah. All right. We'll just do from the ground up. We got this. No problem. I'm waiting. Hmm. You'll, you'll wait. I, yeah. Apparently, no, I'm going mean, to be waiting for a, a real bit. long like, time. It'll take, it'll take a while. <laughs> Damn it. No, I've been one of those people where it's like, you know, if it's not like really difficult, why am I going to bother doing it? No, it, again, when we talked about the the Christy McGonagall uh, yeah. show, that her artistic ability in that was so much more of it than the actual cooking. Like I was expecting recipe stuff and it was, no, it's just the it intricacy of like, yeah. watch me spend six hours just making this little flower for this thing that goes up on a roof shingle. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, um, I'm never going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have neither the patience, the city hands, um, the, the hate for the outdoors, whatever it takes. Like I can't, <laughs> but it, it's incredible to me, the people that, can and you guys uh you were just saying you do your figures you you have your awards and everything from doing your miniatures that's a lot of stuff and it oh man do you sleep <laughs> no no no, <laughs> no. 
but you work retail. So, I mean, what energy do you need? To yeah, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> uh, only enough to keep me from killing anyone. Right. Uh, probably more than we have right now. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> wow. Huh. So, JF, you were talking about your uh, the sequel to The God in the Shed, uh, Song of the Sandman, and how that is kind of crushed you a bit yeah it sounded like um first of all that really hurts me because I, I am one of the the many fans of a god in the shed and have been very anxious to see that book come out but i wanted to be your book you know i don't want i i understand the artistic integrity has to sometimes not necessarily take a backseat but has to ride shotgun to the i i have a publisher who also wants us to be a certain thing but, but it it's really hurtful to think that you might have not created anymore, or at least in, in no. Writing. That's that's the thing. I I I know where you're going with this, and I'll I'll put your mind at ease very quickly. That this book would have been out a year and a half ago if I would if either me or my publisher would have just rolled over. If if my publisher was said, sure, we'll publish whatever you write. Obviously, it would have gone through. And if in turn, I would have said, all right, what do you need? I'll just write whatever and compromise everything I want this book to be. What made it difficult, what really doubled the length that it took to write and edit this book was that we were aiming for an equilibrium. I wanted to make sure that my publisher got something that he was proud of, that he was glad to publish without having to write something that I wasn't happy with. And it started to gel in maybe a draft and a half ago, maybe like four to six months ago. I, I, I sent in some scenes to, to my publisher and he said, the prologue is probably the best thing you've ever written. And I will never hear the girl from Ipanema the same way again. And I went, <laughs> Finally, so we are we're 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 starting to gel. Like we're we're starting like the two rows that we were on that we were going in vastly different directions are now converging back again, and, and we're we're going to the same place once more. So at, from from that point on, like it was still a lot of work to do, but every every step we took just got us closer to something that we both were happy with. So the reason why I asked you that other than the fact that I am very interested is because you, you wrote a God in the shed and you obviously had some sort of plan in your head as to where things were going to go in the next book. And possibly the, if, if it turns out to be a trilogy, the third and final book planning and outlining and everything we feel like is a roadmap for us but it's something that you diverge from so much, especially when you're trying to please multiple people as opposed to whatever it was that was your original idea. We're going to season two of Aquila. And the first season was so strongly written and so strongly performed. How much of it did you have in your head when you started doing the writing initially for the whole thing Versus how much of it came out of where you finished season one? So how much of season two did I have in my head when we ended season one? Yeah. And not much. <laughs> yeah, no. 
there during the production of season one, Amy and I kept going back and forth. Well, more more accurately, once in a while, I would send Amy a barrage of messages saying, "I have this idea for a future season." For a future season. Yeah. So we we have a document with half a dozen ideas for future seasons. Some of them probably aren't going to work, but some of them have some meat on them. And when, when we got to the end of season one and, and I got to sort of listen to, 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 to aim, like I finished writing it and I get managed to, to listen to Amy's rendition of it. We had kind of an idea of where the tone was. We also were getting feedback from, you know, re, from, from listeners. So we, we had a better idea of what people were enjoying, what they weren't enjoying. And also having sort of like kicked off the training wheels of writing this, I also had a better idea of what my own personal ambitions were for the project beyond just like having a lot of raccoon Muppets and things. <laughs> so of all the ideas and themes that we had kicking around, we, I, we eventually just went, all right, well, this is the one I want to, this, this, this is the one I want to try now. This is the, the one that's like feels like the, the the logical continuation from where we are now, and it's going to allow me to have more serious thematics again. Like maybe like have it be a little more like keep it in horror, keep the same whimsy and weirdness and cozy horror, but also now that Miriam is an Aquilo and doing Aquilo things, like what's my next message? And and I think we settled on something that's going to be really fun amy are you having more of a part in the the way the story is going to go now or is it still you're letting him i mean it's it's mostly him like we had we had a bit of a like i definitely know more about what goes on in this season than i did in season one i mean i didn't read the entirety of like i had a vague idea but i didn't read the whole outline of season one until like mid-November that weekend up in Montreal, we sat at a restaurant and, you know, had a couple of drinks and I sat there and read it while he stared at me while I read. And, uh, <laughs> <It was bad. laughs> and so, you know, that was like the first time, you know, because I mean, like we throw around so many ideas all of the time that, you know, even some of the stuff that was actually in there, I didn't necessarily register as stuff that, you know, even stuff that he had told me, I didn't register as like, oh, yes, of course, that was that thing that we talked about. Um, whereas this time, I have a lot clearer idea of the overarching story at the very least. Um, but it's still it's still his story. Like, I mean, I have I have zero problem of if he hands me an episode and I say this is not like, this is not what it should be. Like, this is not Aquilo. I have zero problem telling him that. I mean, I'm not worried about it, but I also wouldn't have a problem with it. When does Which I is kind of the benefit of writing for someone who's, um, like, you, like you keep saying, like the, the, the ultimate fan of that particular of, of that particular series is that, like, the moment it starts stepping outside the bounds of what that series is supposed to be, I'll, I'll know. Yeah, that's a writing partnership versus writing on your own or creating on your own like that's one of the reasons why i'm so excited about the comic project that i'm working on with levi is because i'm creating stuff with one of my favorite people one of my favorite creators in general um and just i feel like 
he brings out the best parts of what I do and I'm hoping to bring out the best parts of what he does. And it, it's been that way with one of my other best friends who I've written with for years. That's just, for me, that's the joy of creating. Um, but I also think that sometimes you, you wind up in a room where you just have a story that you need to, to beat out and you can't have other people peer into it while you're doing it because you just lose all track of what was yours to being, well, I want to please them. And sometimes it brings out a better story. And a lot of times it brings out something that wasn't exactly what you wanted at all. Matt, are we going to reboot? No. I figure we can just wrap it up if you want. All right. Unless you guys want to. Do you want another 40 minutes? <laughs> I have a ton of painting to do. And that's the thing. I, I know you guys are all out ahead of me. but uh... I'm out of wine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Then I guess. <laughs> different people. Different strokes for different folks. No, no Priorities, way. gentlemen. Um, so when does season two come out for Aquila? April 9th. April 9th. Okay. So oh, this will be up tonight. So one month from tomorrow. Um, we'll just have you back after that one's done. Yeah. And then we have a better method in which to actually do these episodes. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just the way it is. But working... And if you're worried that I'm going to um, give you another episode where I totally fan person the entire time, uh, it's likely. That's fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. That's the best part about this whole thing. Um our our friends, like our mutual friends, know that that JF does not enjoy the fame side, like 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 the fame side of it, and having fans to enjoy what you do for JF is like an unfortunate side effect of being a writer. Um, so they will they will attempt successfully, generally, to embarrass him uh, when out in public with him by commenting how they they have in fact like what goodness gracious this is the JF Dubot. <laughs> and so when we were up in Montreal and we were all out to dinner and so one of them's like, is this the Amy Frost? And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. And so this is the fun part of our relationship is that now he gets to just hide back there. And that's fine. And I don't mind. I'll take this. It's <laughs> awesome. For like a little while. <laughs> I'm going to go hide. But for now. Yeah, now that's fine. Soak it up while you, you still enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, April season two is coming out soon. Where do you guys, your other show, everything, my brain's melting. So you, you know what to do. Yeah, no, um, I am everywhere on the internet as Daniora, D-A-N-I-O-R-A, places like Twitter and Instagram. JF is everywhere at J as JF Dubo, J-F-D-U-B-E-A-U, and JFDubo.com. Sign up for his mailing list. I assure you, he does not abuse it at all. But I... But I'm I'm soon gonna have like uh, I'm gonna have to start like announcing when the next book is coming out. So I will again. I'm I never abuse any of my social media for promotion stuff because it makes me incredibly uncomfortable to do so. <laughs> but if you want to know when my next book is coming out and you want more information on Aquilo, just follow me at like just follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, or join my mailing list on my website jeffdubo.com. Also, uh, please join our social media for Aquilo. It's a lot more fun than whatever I do for my personal writing. Because we have other listeners that are interact and, and are super enjoyable. We even have a Discord server. Yeah. Yeah. A-C-H-E-W-I-L-L-O-W. On everything. And I look forward to uh, all those episodes of the Right Brain podcast coming back to me again, Jaya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Got to understand, uh, surrogate listening is, is all I have to be able to sit there and talk story with you. So... 
Like, I will take whatever I can get. Like, you could just call him. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, just call him. I don't know if he wants to talk to us peons. I mean, we know how pretentious he is. Uh, <laughs> you mean the JF Dubo? Oh, wow. So accurate. <laughs> Jesus. Corey, uh, do you even want people to know where you are? I, I don't care if people know where I am. Well, you always uh, push something else. I up for Facebook tonight. Ta- mm-hmm, boy. Uh, is, and yeah, but... I don't know how long that'll last. I just I had some uh, moments that I wanted to come in, and because I've missed my friends, that's Fair really enough. what it is. Is like I miss I miss people that I don't get to hang out with, that I only get to hear their voices, which is pretty amazing in and of itself. Um, well, can you imagine Aquilo becomes like this massive success, and we can have Aquilo come con, and like you guys can come over. Matt can bring his band. Like it, like we can do the live show. About, like no we can do our live show. Like all we need is two hundred thousand more people listening. So, <laughs> hey, we're working on you know. it, and that's true. Matt's band, Drawn the Lifeguard, definitely qualifies as cozy metal. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. sure. Fantastic. I'll take that. Sure. I like the idea of cozy metal now. I kind of do too. This this, this is a whole other topic. (laughs) We can't unpack this one. I started listening to to something called Chill Hop, and I was, man, this is kind of cool. And I realized, oh no, this is just disco. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that's the point that you realize you're getting old. Yeah. I listen to more rap than heavy music lately, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I'm getting old. (laughs) It's fine. Um, but yeah, thanks guys. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram. I almost said Twitter, but we all know that story. Uh, Matt the lifeguard. Yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna go to sleep now. But uh, JF, Amy, thank you for coming. We'll have you guys back as soon as season two is done. Thank you for making an thank amazing you. show. Thank for you. having us and thanks for listening to this show. I mean, <laughs> cliche, but like none of this happens without the listeners. Absolutely, I mean, it happens in my head, but. <laughs> Yeah, so if you haven't listened to Aquil, go do it. Uh, it's really easy. Half an hour episodes, was there 15 of them? So that's just like one really long drive. If you go to Aquila.com, it will take you to places where you can listen to it. Obviously, you can find it in your favorite podcatcher. And uh, if possible, please leave a review of it because I, I looked and uh, you've got nothing but five-star reviews and that's the way it should be. Absolutely. So that's going to do it for another episode of the podcast here. We'll talk to you guys next time. Stay scary, everybody. Bye.